In a few minutes, I will have Steve Vai on my podcast. And I know how many guitar players around the world would love to chew his ear off about guitars. And I'm grateful that I get to talk to him about stuff. And since he's a friend and I love him and his family, our conversation will go many different directions. Before he comes on, though, I'm going to play the audio of a video testimonial he and his son Julian made for me. In the video, he's laying on a massage table, getting a massage from Julian, who works for me. So Julian is a dot bot. <laughs> and so the video is so cute. I wanted to take the audio from that and play it for you. So you'll hear that before Steve comes on and talks to me. I hope you enjoy it. And Steve personally picked the music at the beginning of this podcast and the end. So keep that in mind. Hi folks. This is Steve Vai here. I'm getting a massage. I wanted to tell you about Dr. Dot. Dr. Dot is a massage therapist and she's rock and roll to the core. And she actually has these minions all around the world that go out and give massages. They're called dot bots. That's what a dot bot is. A person that goes to your house and does a massage. And all you got to do is go to drdot.com. That's D-R-D-O-C.com. And just order yourself a, a little vacation, a little bit of paradise and have a dot bot come and visit you, just like me. It's nice. As a matter of fact, I have, a, I have what I call the Vi Advantage. I have a dot bot that lives in my house. That's right. It's my son, Julian. That's right. The Vi Advantage. You rock by. You rock by. No, 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 you rock by. Yeah, you rock by. All right, we both rock. Okay. <laughs> so I have part one and part two of this great interview with Steve I. In part one, though, there are some sound issues because I was getting to know the Anchor app on which my podcast is hosted. And unfortunately, sometimes... It sounds like I'm speaking over the guest or the guest is speaking over me. And that was not the case. It's just a sound synchronizing issue. However, when I called Steve back for part two, I used a different app and just used a record a call from my iPhone. And there was no sound issues with that. A little bit of crackling, but no overlapping. So if you Notice sometimes during this uh, chat with Steve that it sounds like he's cutting me off or I'm cutting him off. That's just a sound problem. We really did not interrupt each other. So please bear with us and enjoy. Hello. Hi, Steve. Oh, my goodness. There it is. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I think... Um, if I come through on the computer, maybe there would be feedback or something. I don't know. Well, I think this is working really well. You, actually, it sounds better than anything I've heard coming over my phone. 
Oh, well, that's good. How you I'm, doing, Doc? Yeah, I'm kind of climbing the walls, locked in a house for a year with my eight-year-old. <laughs> oh, my God. Is he eight already? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And he's acting 30. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. It's tough for kids, I got to yeah. say. They, especially an eight-year-old. Is he going out at all? Well, he goes to the playground, but a lot of kids in my tiny little town, I live in Lindhurst, New Jersey. Yeah. They have... Some people are okay with bringing their kids out. Some are still scared. Schools are not open. So he hasn't been to school in a year. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I know. He's going nuts. And I'm homeschooling, cooking, cleaning, all that stuff. I can bring home the bacon, <laughs> fry it up in the pan. And you your, your sons are how old now? Uh, five, they just turned 29 and 32. Why? Some For some reason... I thought they were twins. There was <laughs> no. There they were, were. They were. They uh, have the same birth date. Oh, okay. Yeah. How? March what 1st. is the chance of that happening? Well, you know what's even more odd, Pia. We conceived on my birthday both times, June sixth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is that is freakishly. That's like even freakier than John it's Lennon. So and, freaky. I know. What? So they were both conceived on your birthday, and they both have the same birthday, but yes. two years. Who's older, Julian? Three years or... apart. Yeah, Julian is uh, three years older than Fire. And what? How did the name Fire come about? That's you know great. That's, uh, it's interesting. I, you know, Billy Sheehan, right? Yeah. He had a friend that he grew up with, and the guy's name was Fire. Of course, it was a nickname, but I just uh, I thought it was a really cool name. I named my son Fire. It it is. I hope he didn't get teased at school. No, you didn't. You don't tease fire. <laughs> are, we, are we on right now? Yeah, okay, we're rolling. Great. Oh, good. And well, if, you know if, what's funny with his name? Um, it's the only word uh, I believe. So I was told the only word in the Constitution you're not allowed to yell in public. And I've actually emptied out a yogurt shop, a movie theater, and a supermarket <laughs> when he was. <laughs> When he was a little boy, because he was running around and once I was in this yogurt shop and I was on one end and he was just like, I don't know, four years old. And he was, you know, he was standing by me. And then he for some reason, he just ran. And we were on Ventura Boulevard. He ran across the thing, across the store and out the door. And I thought he was going to run into the street. And I just started screaming fire. <laughs> fire, fire, fire. And people were just freaking out. They're running out. <laughs> it happened in a supermarket too. This sounds like a curb your enthusiasm episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then when he was uh his, his first name his name was actually his first name was actually Keenan. Keenan Fire Vi. And uh oh. but we just called him Fire. And then when he was twelve, he discovered that his first name was actually legally Keenan mm -hmm. and he demanded that we change it. Ooh. So Keenan that must mean Pia must be Irish or something. Oh, I just like the, the name Keenan. Oh. Pia's Swedish and Italian. But oh. uh, so I, I, we, we changed his name legally. And then um, I remember when he was like 16, he came to me, he goes, hey, dad, thanks for naming me fire. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> the, chick, the chicks must like it. I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, your sons, by the way, first of all, they have. Steve I as a dad and Pia the hot mom yeah. and then the cool names that you must have you must have to sit on the porch with a shotgun 
<laughs> well, it was no. They, you know, they're good kids. They're they're gentlemen. They had great friends. They're they've got it real together. When when you know they when they were growing up, they had ton, Julian had tons of girlfriends, just going back and forth and back and forth. <laughs> I see them going. You know, I'd see. And then they started to get a little older, you know, and then they're like 18 and then 21. And I'm like, holy, you know, <laughs> what do you mean? They were older than him? No, oh, you mean, no, he was because he was getting older. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, he's tall, handsome, and he gives a mean massage. So yeah, that's very true. <laughs> did he 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 was going to become a nurse as well right which means he would be surrounded by women 24 7 right exactly yeah he did that he was going to do that he wasn't you know like a lot of youngsters he wasn't quite sure he he did the he went to massage therapy school he graduated from two schools for that and then he uh you know wanted to get into the medical he was considering a doctor, but just the, the amount of study and stuff. So he w discovered that being a nurse was interesting, you know, so he went to school for that and got everything for that and then uh, decided to do ultrasound, <laughs> you know. So he went to school for to be an ultrasound engineer. And then finally, he started working and, he's, and he comes to me one day and he goes, Dad, I just I just don't want to do this. I just don't want to be in the medical because he was, I mean, he would come, he was telling me what he had to go through. And, you know, some people are cut out for that and some people aren't. And I, I just told him, uh, well, don't, well, ever, don't ever do anything that you don't want to do. It's not worth it. Why? You know? <laughs> well, the thing about ultrasound, he would have to be in the dark 99% of the time. That's a drag. Yeah. No, what he does now, he's so, he's infinitely happier. He well, he's still doing massage, right? Because when he, I need him to go massage a rock star, I mean, he works somehow for me sometimes. Oh, yeah, he does that. But what he does that he really loves, we sat down and we said, okay, well, what is it that you want to do? Let's kind of put down some parameters. He said, well, I want to be able to make my own hours. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to make a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> Who doesn't? Not a lot. Not a lot. He didn't, he doesn't really, he didn't want, right. he just wanted to make enough. That's Jul Julian's like, you know. I just I just want enough. I don't need a lot. And um, and I just want to do something I really love. I want to be, just be surrounded by love, you know. <laughs> so, you know what he does? Mm. He He's a dog walker. Oh, my God. One of my best friends on Earth here in Hoboken. Well, he lives in Hoboken. Corey walks dogs and they make good money. Fifteen dollars an hour per dog. Oh, my God. Julian makes like like. <laughs> a lot more he's he's the high he's there's this uh it, you know what's amazing dot my what? son i figured okay wants to be a dog walker and you know, checked off all the boxes he makes his own hours he's surrounded by love all day these dogs love him and he started he was, started with this site called rover.com and he became the number one dog walker on the site <laughs> all of la the highest paid He's the highest paid. Well, he Most... better be packing heat because apparently people are mugging dog walkers now. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe Lady Gaga's. <laughs> but uh, but what's great is I could this this stunned me. So he just works in his area here. He he makes a lot of money. He loves 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 it. Like these dogs, he's so suited for it. He's perfectly suited. <laughs> and he came to me like a year and a half after he started, and he says, "Dad." I just have to tell you how happy I am doing what I'm Aww. I am so happy. And then I go on the website and I'm reading these reviews for him. And 
And that, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I've read a lot of things about me that were, you know, really sweet, really nice, you know, really people saying really nice things that his reviews dwarf me. <laughs> I, I can't believe what because, you know, people love their animals like, you know, that's they, true. They really more than it. kids. Yes. And, and when they to entrust somebody with their animal is a big thing. And they, they these people are in love with him. So he's happy. I'm dying to ask, though, yeah. doesn't he spend his time picking up poop a lot? Like, is poop involved? Oh, yeah. But he's got down. You got to see him. He's got all this gear and, you know, he's got his suntan. Well, no wonder he's too he's busy to go massage my to massage my rock star clients. He's too busy hanging out with pooches. That's cute. <laughs> well, when he was a nurse, he was changing diapers, too. That's true. <laughs> you know? The master poop. pooper scooper. Yeah. <laughs> Cleaning up poop, hey. except it wasn't on uh, dogs, you know. So I haven't got to meet Fire, but I I got it. I like a three hour long massage from Julian because you know he had to audition to be a dot. But I remember you saying, "Dot, do not like uh, treat him differently. Mm-hmm. Don't give him five stars just because he's my son. I want you to judge him, you know, honestly." Mm-hmm. And he gave me a like a it's supposed to be just a one hour massage, but he just went on and on and on. And I was like, you are so hired. And then I took a picture of my little shoe next to his shoe. I was like, I can't, you're Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, they're both Bigfoot. Jeez, they have, I mean, how tall are they? Uh, they're bigger than me. A little, a little bit bigger. <laughs> Which is? And and they're, they're just amazing. How they, tall are you? I'm six foot. And they're bigger probably than you? a little bit. You know, fire's probably about half an inch bigger julian's maybe maybe three quarters of an inch bigger Jeez. yeah you must be beating the girls off with a stick there <laughs> well julian is <laughs> madly in love with uh, a girl he has a girlfriend uh mm. and fire kind of just fires more like the quiet he, fire works with me he's really oh. he's really smart and he he uh, I, for years i i taught him publishing and he deals with all my publishers and uh, he deals with my catalog. He deals with all the merchandise, you know, he's oh. very smart and very. Uh, uh, but he's not playing guitar. No, 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 they don't. They don't play. Neither of them play. They don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> he's, so he's doing the books and and Pia. She's not in a punk band anymore. No. How did Pia. you meet, how did you meet Pia? Oh, I, well, I met Pia at Berkeley when I was uh, going to school in Boston. I was 18. She was 18 or seven. No, I was, I think I met her. No, I was 18. She was 17, I think. And uh, yeah, we uh, we met at Berkeley. And, at, you know, Berkeley, there's like, there's literally 80 guys, at least back then, 80 guys for every one girl, you know. So you were lucky to get her. So I didn't, you know, and I wasn't going to compete with anybody. I didn't want to have anything to do with any of that, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I was I was kind of more shy, you know, actually. I, I, I just didn't want to compete. And all the guys in the in my band and a lot of the guys were asking Pia out. And she didn't want She just, she was cold, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're we so just, cold. No. You're so cold. You know, like we were walking once and a friend of mine put his arm around her and, and, and she just took his arm and threw it up and said, I don't like when people touch me. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I, you know, and I thought she was cool, but I, you know, I, I was intimidated. And then she started coming to rehearsals and, um, mm. 
And I'm like, why is she coming to rehearsal? She's not interested in any of these guys. And, and then I thought, you know what? And I, I mean, Dot, if you knew me, I was, I was really just focused on guitar. And I, I, I never asked, I never went out on dates or anything like that. You know, I was pretty much just guitar, guitar. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'll ask her to come over, you know? And I, I saved up mm-hmm. some money and I bought a can of tuna fish. <laughs> I was so broke. I was so broke. <laughs> And I saved, and I bought tuna fish and some mayo, and I made a. And I said to her, "We're rehearsal," and I was packing up, uh, and everybody had left the room, and she was just sitting there. And I, I said, "Hey, um, I got some tuna fish. You want to come over, and I'll make you a sandwich." And she said, uh, "No." <laughs> and I just thought, "Oh, okay. Well, that's bad. She doesn't, maybe she doesn't uh, like seafood. I will never like be me. asking again, you know." And about ten seconds later, she said, "Well, okay." And then, and then we just, you know, from there on. I, you know, I have to say, out of all the gazillion rock stars I've met and massaged in my life, I always, when people ask me about, you know, oh, rock stars and they can't be loyal, I said, excuse me, Steve Vai and Charlie Watts are loyal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, both of you, and there's a guy from a band called Pulp, who I'm sure nobody in America knows, but like definitely you and Charlie Watts are the most loyal rock stars I've ever met. I've never seen you or heard of you ever looking at any other female. You're totally devoted to your wives. And that is very admirable in, in a business where, you know, women are throwing their panties and bras on stage, especially with Zappa and stuff. You yeah. Know? yeah. So like everyone knows that you are a loyal man and that must feel good. Well, you know, I, I just, um, I, I like the simple life. I've been happily, I've been a happily married monogamous man for 38 years. Yeah. yeah I mean, and when you meet Pia, you like pictures do not do her justice in person. She is so much more stunning and, and charming and calm. Yeah. And it's just, she's very, I love you know, her. Pia was just, um, she always like, she, she was very smart. You know, she's very with it. She has class, you know, and, and, and it was, was so weird when I was uh, when I was young, I was classless. I was just like this. I was dumb <laughs> as a stump and just, oh, come well, on. you know, I, I just I just was <laughs> playing the guitar, playing the guitar. But she uh, um, she was re- more refined and like she was the one that turned me on to everything, you know, like uh, sushi or uh when, when we were in Europe for the first time, she knew all about France and I mean, she's never been there, but she's just very cultured. And like through, through the years, I mean, if it wasn't for Pia, I, I, I would have never done anything. <laughs> oh, where, where was she from again? She's from Connecticut. Well, she was born in the Bronx or Queens. Queens. Oh. And then, um, uh, yeah, she lived in Connecticut and then went to Berkeley and then we moved to California. Oh. Yeah. It's why do all musicians end up living in California, especially Zappa alumni? It's just a thing. I don't know one Zappa alumni except Ray White that doesn't live in California. What's I don't know. That? I just love California. I knew I knew when I, oh. I knew I wanted to live here when I was like twelve. Now, <laughs> but I'm ready to move. <laughs> I'm oh, from really, California, but from Los Angeles, perhaps. Where would you move if you if oh, you I could don't know. move? Maybe Northern California. I'd like to maybe. I'm thinking. Uh, we're looking at maybe second homes in Nashville. Um, San Diego area is just phenomenal. 
So Sausalito, no, you don't want to live on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) What about Long Island? Northern Northern California is just beautiful. And Long Island, out on Long Island, that's nice too. We actually looked at uh, places along the Gold Coast once. But it's just the weather, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, you could do, you know, San Diego in the winter and um, Long Long Um, Island in the summer. We thought about all of that, but uh, I don't know, you know. It's just finding time to move. And now I got the studios. I got the the studio of my dreams. And P is into horses. She's she's got two horses now. I just got her another horse. She's another thing you have in common with Charlie Watts. His wife is all about the horses. That's funny. Yep. She's into it. She's she's got race horses and adopting ones that have hurt their legs and everything. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. She had Hmm. the P's horse was the first one. Brioso's a uh, uh, Portuguese bullfighting stallion. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's yeah, crazy. And, and now she's she's uh, she's getting one from Spain. Oh, that's an expensive it's habit, very, by the way. Uh, you know what? I I don't really have many. I don't have any expensive habits. You know, except maybe buying. Wait a minute, your guitars? I don't buy guitars. <laughs> Oh, well, everyone's drooling over them. Like I posted on Facebook. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to talk to Steve. What do you want to ask him? And the guys are like salivating. Well, if he doesn't need that one green guitar, I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) I I mean, I buy, I buy Um, some guitars if I see, but usually, I mean, the guitars I, I play are my guitars, my gems. I can't really, I'm not, I'm hmm. not, I could, I could play other guitars, of course, but I'm not as comfortable. And as far as gems go, and, and Ibanez type guitars, I've got a lot, you know, because whenever we do something new, we have to go through prototypes. And, I, and I've, got, I've got all the classic types of guitars, you know, but um, I don't really go out. I mean, you know, I don't go out and buy stuff like that. I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't even buy studio gear. There's no need to anymore. I don't drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, I don't even, you don't no. drive? I started... I, I mean, I had a habit at one point uh, collecting Harley Davidsons, you know, and I had like seven mm-hmm. Harleys at one point. But, you know, <laughs> but you don't drive. Oh, them. no, I drove. Them. Whoa, yeah. And, and oh, I, okay. I have a, I, you know, a car, but I, I don't drive anymore. I go. I take Uber. I much prefer it. I'd like to see a picture of you on a Harley, which I've never seen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll have to send sure, me that. I, I, I have uh, one now that's just. It's really a quite a cool bike. It's all chopped up and stuff. And then you can spend you on you'll probably end up spending more time working on the damn Harleys than you will doing but guitar work. Period, if you, get into like, it. you know, back in the eighties, nineties, nineties, where I was really into it, and I I actually worked on them. I was take them apart a little bit, but not much. I, you know, it's it's kind of like anything I I end up getting interested in. It's very short lived because I I just. Mm find myself running back to the studio Mm, well that's appreciated apparently (laughs) i I gotta ask you this one question from a facebook Mm -hmm. fan what strings do you use and why brian wait venezio no i can't even venezio Venezio? (laughs) wait vin veneziano what kind of non-italian are you I know exactly. I can't even. Veneziano. And he's from Rolling Meadows, Illinois, but he wants to know what strings do you use and why? why? Well, I'll tell you what. I use um, Ernie Ball, 9 through 42. And I really haven't changed that much 
in my life. Uh, when I was young, I used tens, but um, I just eventually went with nines, nines through 42. Occasionally what I do is when the strings, uh, when I'm out on tour for a while and my fingers get really, you know, strong, I, I'll bump it up a bit. Mm-hmm. I might go nine through 52 or 10, use tens <laughs> through 52. But, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it takes a little time for my fingers to get strong enough on tour to do the kind of thing I do on those kinds of strings. I don't have, I have big, long fingers, but they're not fat and muscular. Do you know what I mean? So, but, <laughs> well, didn't Jimi Hendrix have the same kind his, of fingers? No, his long and nearly thin. as long as mine, but they were, they were long and, um, but. Wait, your fingers are longer than Jimi Hendrix? I believe so. I, I mean, wow. I, did, I never compared them, but I, I've seen <laughs> pictures, I've, you know, and I've, I've I, 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 who knows? I, I know you're a Hendrix fan because you have a Hendrix tattoo, just yeah. like I do. <laughs> Not like you, but I've got a, I've got <laughs> Well, yours yeah, is on your arm. Axis, which I got from Axis Bold as Love. You've got a beautiful one there. Huge. Huge. It's like the size That's of right. his head. I remember you whipped it out once, almost fainted. <laughs> <laughs> Rip, it, Rip out. it out. Okay, this this one is from Daniel Scott Hopkins from Syracuse, New York. Do you still keep in touch with the infamous Ralph Macchio? <laughs> Macchio yeah. da- Who well, the hell Ralph, is that? Uh, Ralph Macchio is an actor that was uh, in the movie Crossroads. He was the star of the oh, movie okay. Crossroads that I was in, where I played the devil's guitar player. But oh, he's yeah, a little karate, karate kid, kid guy. I um I haven't seen Ralph. Every now and then. I meet somebody, you know, that says, hey, Ralph said hi. And I'll and, and he, he'll meet somebody that probably says Steve says hi. But yeah, yeah. yeah. our paths don't cross, really. Mm-hmm. Then I did let me just, him, there's only I'd, I'd kick the shit out of him. Ah, he's not no, I, anymore, I mean, on the guitar be... because he beat me in the movie. Oh. <laughs> oh, Actually, yeah. Okay. No, I have to make this clear. Am... He did not beat me in the movie. Everybody thinks he did. That was just acting, obviously. But no, fantastic. Oh, really good guy. You played Mm -hmm. both parts. Hmm, That's interesting. You must have had to sign. They must have had to pay for that. Like, okay, just pretend you lost. Here we go. So, Joe Jody Matrulo. Jesus, what's wrong with me? Matrulo Nola. Jody Matrunola from New from New York. I got to do that. What the fuck? And Dana Porches, who I've known since I'm 18, both have the same question. So I just want to know how your arm oh. and hand are healing, and ha- and has it changed your playing style? Uh, well, my I, I'm all I, I'm healed re- pretty well. My thumb is uh, is all healed. It hurts a little when I move, but it no, it's I, what got, I developed trigger finger. It like froze. It was. I was playing the guitar and I was playing the acoustic guitar and I, I was doing this chord and I was, it was a beautiful chord and I just got lost in it. And but when I, when I <laughs> took my hand away, my thumb, it was kind of like just sprained a little. Then it developed this oh, no. kind of trigger finger and it got to the point where then my finger froze and it just, I couldn't play. I really, I really couldn't. And it wasn't going to get better. So I had to get that fixed and it happened right at the same time as my shoulder. And the shoulder was weird. It came up on me. I had no idea. I think it was because, uh, you know, 48 years of sitting and playing and hunching my shoulder up. 
but also I was doing I was mm-hmm. that along with uh, working out and doing uh, chest flies and going deep, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of like tore a little bit and I got an injection cortisone and it worked, it worked for cortisone. a while. Mm-hmm. And then it just it, it really um, it got really bad. I mean, um, it was like my bone was just like mm. flopping around in my shoulder and the, the pain. Holy shite. And uh, finally, oh. I got it. I went and got a look at and all the MRIs and all that stuff. And the doctor said, it's torn all the way through. You have to get surgery. And you only have a window. So it's not a big window of opportunity. So um, I did it. And uh, it was great. You know, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm, a, I'm at about, I should be at about 60%, but I'm at about 80% because I was in really good shape before the surgery. So but it takes like about I a year. I saw the pictures. Know? And I couldn't play for about two and a half months. But uh, I, I could use my left hand once my finger, once my thumb, uh, uh, you know, was, was okay. I could use my left hand. So I recorded a song with one hand. It's called, it's called Knapsack. What song was it? What's you can it check called? it out on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> Knapsack. Knapsack. Yeah. And I played the whole thing with one hand. But uh, yeah, and That's but um, when I went, when I went back to play, like to start like really playing again, I gotta, I got to tell you, I felt like I was just starting. I couldn't, my right hand could not, I could hardly pick. And drumming, strumming, mm. I, I got, I was actually, I actually thought, okay, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not going to come back. How can it? Mm. And then I just, and then something just said, you know, screw you. It's coming back. Just, just work on it. So I just started, started, started. <sighs> Next thing you know, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. I'm all good. So I, I am all that is good. Scary. <laughs> well, it's good that this happens yeah. during yeah, well, the lockdown. Right, yeah. You know what Perfect. I mean? By the way, I think Trigger Finger should be the name of the next album or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta take I, I advantage named of that. that song Trigger Finger. That's <laughs> really good. Um, I'm, I'm standing in Desmond's playroom and I'm looking at the International Scar uh, Registry. Could we right. we still have it on the wall. <laughs> you purchased my son That's a right. star. <laughs> When he was just born, and um, I'm so proud of it. I had it framed and everything, or you had it framed. Send it to me. It's it's right there on the wall. I still have it, and I'm for forever grateful. My little my little son is like Steve. I bought me a star. Right. I'm like, dude, dude, you don't even you don't even know how lucky you are, Desmond. There's like millions of guitar players around the world gagging to talk to Steve, and here he did. He bought you a star. He's he's he'll grow he'll he'll grow up and be yep, like that wow, star you know? is uh, he should uh, there's ways of uh, finding it too that it comes with a map and you can if you get a a powerful telescope yeah yeah i have the i have the map it's all um mm-hmm. all in yellow it has the exact location and stuff and it says congratulations your place in the cosmo uh from steve Vai. Mm-hmm. Stephen p of i says that <laughs> that is so sweet of you That's we're, we're very grateful kind of, of that kind of no. <laughs> cool to have i guess you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> unbelievable so okay let me get this ken oh ken von hasler so his obvious but he's from san mateo california but that sounds like a german name ken von hasler 
light without heat is the light without heat reference in the Julie Verne book and movie Journey to the Center of the Earth. Ah, no. That's a no. I didn't even know it was in that movie. That is a. You know, it's so funny because I was talking. P and I, for some reason, <laughs> on, on on Easter, we're sitting there and we're like, "What? Okay, we're going to watch TV." You know, rare occasion where we. Well, we're actually, we've, we've been watching these. Um, uh, you know, uh, like uh, Downton Abbey and Game of. Yeah, it was great. Oh, I love that. Have you no, seen Peaky Blinders? We're yet? looking for good series. Oh Hard God, Peaky Blinders, what Steve. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's on Netflix. It's a kind of a true story back in Birmingham, England, early 1900s uh-huh. of a gang called Peaky Blinders, industrial Birmingham, like a, a gangster gang, and how they ruled the mm-hmm. town and everything. I just wrote and it I'll oh, check it out. It's fabulous and i you'll eat right you'll be gagging for the next season after six seasons you'll be like okay what's taking so long when is the next season it's yeah i'll check that out we started watching for some reason the 10 commandments was on so i said you know what Mm. let me check out check it out i've seen it when i watched all those movies when i was a kid and we watched it it was really amazing you know is it on hulu or just use apple tv and just you know buy it but um, okay so then we decided to watch Ben Hur. <laughs> so we've been kind of mm. like on this uh, this little kick of those old epics. They're they're pretty cool. But having said that, one of the movies that came up that I wanted to watch was because uh, I was a big fan of Journey to the Center of the Earth. You know, loved it, loved it. It was crazy mm. for all those those types of movies when I was a kid. But I never heard the phrase light without heat in that movie. So uh, I'll be looking for that next time. But the phrase for me came from a book called the Urantia book. It's when I was uh, in my oh. early 20s studying metaphysics and going through all these crazy kind of uh, books. And one of them was this wild book called the Urantia book. And that term was in there. And I really liked it so i lifted it i wonder what came first that book or the julie uh, verne book i might hmm. assume the jules verne yeah uh, gotta check that out i'm gonna have to <laughs> Maybe fact check this stuff <laughs> but but you know because of easter i also wanted my kids like I don't understand what's going on. Did Jesus die? Is he alive? Why does what does the Easter Bunny have to do with all of this? So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm trying to explain it to either, him and but, find movies. You know, from what I understand, uh, it, it, things morph. <laughs> you know, the meanings of things kind of morph through time. Easter is really a celebration of um, you know fertility, and there's a, there's all sorts of um, you you could look it up, and I, I don't know exactly how the Jesus thing got you know, hooked up with Easter. But he wants, to, he's like, I want to see that Passion of the Christ thing. I go, I think you're too young. for. No, no, I want to see it. I can handle it. Well, if it. he like, wants, you know I what? Don't think so. If he's like me, uh, check, have him have him check out the Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur. The, and another one yeah. that I've been planning on watching that I haven't seen for so many years is the King of Kings. You know, that's very Jesus. Oh, There's a lot of Jesus down, yeah. in that. And then there's one that's Jesus of okay, Nazareth. King of- if he's interested in that kind of stuff, I was I was Catholic, you know, I was brought he up is. Catholic, and and I um, <clears throat> I mean, I wasn't religious, but 
there was something about Jesus that I really liked. And, mm. uh, and whenever I would read something that he said, it was, it made sense as opposed to some of the other stuff yeah. in the religion. So I kind of, kind of abandoned anything religious, but embraced the, the Jesus and Jesus. Jesus is just all right Jesus. with me. So, so some of those movies, if he's interested, that they're great. King of Kings is a good one. I wrote that down because he, I found something on Hulu called Jesus, the story of Jesus. And he was like, this is boring. When is he going to get beat and put on Ooh. the cross? I'm like, hey, you are so <laughs> Hey, listen, I know a place in the Reaper barn oh that he, could really, he would enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Yeah, I gotta bring you to Hamburg if you're really. <laughs> well, if he's into the he's gore of it all, then yeah, Passion of the Christ is the one. But I can't he watch that. He is. He, he's really. Yeah. He's into gore. He's into gore. Everything's Halloween. He's want to watch how people make those um, fake. Um, yeah. You know the the gore makeup where people look like they've. He's into that stuff. So he's probably gonna work on movie oh, cool. sets with with gore. So that's what he's into. Okay, here's one. Which drummers are your favorites and what makes them stand out? Cyril McKinnon from Calgary, uh, Canada. You know, drummers, I didn't realize this when I was younger, that um, they all have sounds. They all have They all have a sound. They all have a groove. They all have uh, 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 different communicative abilities. So I like the ones that have a good a good display of all that. Uh, someone like Jeremy, Jeremy Colson, the drummer that I've been playing with for many years in my band, he's got a, he's, he's, he's well-rounded. He, he, uh, the thing that I like most about him, he, he hits really hard. His timing is just spot on. You know, he's, he never drops a beat. He's a punk drummer. Um, but he, uh, I mean, originally he was a punk drummer, but he is very willing he, through the years. He's been well, very willing to expand, so introducing very odd ryth rhythms and that kind of stuff was uh, really good. You know, he picks up and he just never drops a beat. And then you got guys like Vinnie Caliuta, <clears throat> who their communicative skills are just off the charts. You know, it's like ESP, you know, his ability to just take a groove and loosen it, loosen it up and do things to it uh, that give it life is just uncanny because a lot of drummers sound like just drummers, you know, they're just back background. They just keep the beat, but to actually have personality when you in the sound of hit, just hitting a snare, like I can hear, like they say, you can hear, if you hear a note from Jeff Beck, you know, it's Jeff Beck or, you know, that kind of thing. It's the same with drummers. Like I had Abe Laboreal in the band for a while, Abe Laboreal Jr. Way back and that guy has one of the best sounds, you know, like his tone, like when he would hit the kick drum, it'd be like, holy shit, you know, just. Hang on. I think I met Abe. He yeah, played, played with Jeff Beck. Oh, no, oh, he's no. Been, or Paul yeah, McCartney, he's been with too, McCartney right? For the big decades. Um, and then you got guys like, you know, Greg Bissonette that are just as solid as the day is long, no matter what it is you're going to, he's going to give it to you. You know, he, there's not, there's not a lot of surprises, but everything is completely in place and spot on. And no matter what the style he's, he could play any style, you know, like uh, drummer. It's, it's like, if you ask me to play the blues, 
I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of like play something mm. that resembles the blues, not really, you know, or jazz, you know, <laughs> kind of jazz, but you know, but I don't, I'm not authentic in different styles. I'm, I, I'm authentic to, to being Steve I. That's about it. Yeah. But your own, um, your own style. But someone like Greg is authentic in every style that he approaches. He's just bulletproof, you know, and and so on. Then you get guys like, like Terry Bozio. Terry Bozio, oh my God, um, Terry. I would have to say I have never in my life been so moved by watching a drummer perform in such a connected way as Terry. When I was doing the Zappa Play Zappa tour. Uh, with Terry, I would just sit and watch him when he would do his solos and stuff and marvel, just marvel uh, and sometimes weep, you know, I mean, his his ability to be connected. is. Un- I have to yeah. say, it turns me on watching him play. I get. Yeah, he's, he's a monster. It works. He's just. A monster. <laughs> he is. And you two yeah, together, we have some fun. <laughs> you know. Uh, let's see did you ever hang out at alley pond park oh, to see course. concerts alley in pond the 70s oh, yeah and, oh and that's both of these are from james may from queens and did you ever play my father's place oh, yeah. in Roslyn, I, lived, I, I, I used to go to my father's place all the time i didn't live far from it and i played there and we used to go see bands there and i used to i used to sneak out on my brother's harley and it goes right down the street there in Roslyn by the clock tower. Every, every, I think it was like Wednesday night or something. It was all bikes. All the bikers came out and my brother had this Harley and it had oh, like 16 hot. over front end. And I, I was like 16 years old. <laughs> I'm riding around giant Harley. But uh, my father's <laughs> place was great. I, I think it was just re- refurbished or something like that. Yeah. I believe it so. still exists. I, you know, it's been a while. Alley Pond Park. In Alley Pond uh, Park? Yeah, there was. that's where you also went to score drugs. <laughs> but all those places. <laughs> the, yeah, the bad boys, the bad boys area. I lived right. Mm-hmm. I was. I used to be able to walk to the Nassau Coliseum and we'd go to uh, Madison Square Garden, too. There was all that. And, and Hofstra Playhouse was right there in the... Uh, uh, the, the Calderon concert hall. I mean, there was such a great place to grow up on Long Island. Yeah. So much music. And then from Martin Ferrati, F I O R E T T I, Ferrati from Massachusetts. Any chance of a Vi slash Camille project oh, in knows? the future? Maybe. I just I did a, um, I just did a, well, hmm. Mike and I, he made, one of the most beautiful records uh, for for me, the Piano Reduction CD, where he played like, you know, 13 or so of my songs on solo piano. It's fantastic. He did the arrangements. It was brilliant. And I played on Mike's uh, last record, like a full on project. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> you know? and you guys are, yeah. you fit perfect together, you know. Tell us any and all about the first tour with Zappa, challenging moments, funniest from from Marble Mass. I don't know. Well, that I can, you know. I think this is the same start guy. talking about Frank. I can go on forever. <laughs> the, the, my ability yeah. to recognize what was going on 
changed as I was with him. Because at first, if you can imagine being 18 years old and even meeting him, you know, you, I was just a kind of stunned. I, I heard he plucked you out of, he wanted to pluck you out of the Berkeley School of Music. No. But you said, no, I want to no, finish. Not, not at all. Matter of fact, I left because huh. I was going to Berkeley when I, uh, the first time I spoke to Frank, uh, I was going to Berkeley. And I sent him a tape and some things, and he sent me um, a score and a, uh, a copy of the Black Page. And um, I sent him some transcriptions, and he wanted to try me out for the band. But when I told him I was 18, that you know, <laughs> uh, I, he put me on salary transcribing. And I did that and the day after my 20th birthday. I moved out to California and started uh, you know, frequenting his house. And next thing you know, you get pulled into that world. and Frank was just you go up to the house for one day and you're there for nine days, you know, recording and playing and it's amazing, you know, and it was. Well, wait, can I fact check something now that you're mentioning being at Frank's house? I, I talked to mm -hmm. Don Preston a couple days ago. He said there was a super hot nanny, like 19, 20 years old. She refused to wear a shirt. All she wore was underwear and she was hanging around the house all the time. Before my time. Did, you, did you see any of that? That was, when, was, that that was when Frank was living on Lower <laughs> Canyon, I think, and at the, in the log cabin. And everybody, oh, like okay. Mick Jagger and Hendrix and all these people are coming by. And that's when he had all those groupies. But when he moved to, uh, you know, oh, up okay. in Woodrow Wilson, uh, you know, I, he, it was different. And that, that yeah, I mean, I was uh, a little was more tame. 80s you know, 1980 that I first went up there and it was just, it was a stunner, you know, because you're with Frank Zappa and he was constantly being creative, always funny. We just, you just wait to see what he's going to say, you know, and you better be ready. You know? <laughs> and I was, um, I was very uh, sort of intimidated and shy and freaked out a bit when I was around him because he was Frank, but, I was incredibly confident when it came time to play for him. I was like ready, you know, I'm like, come on, give it to me. Give me what, give me anything, you know? And, and he did, <laughs> he did. He gave me crazy, that crazy shit to play. And I delivered. I don't know why, you know, I was just able to do some of that crazy stuff. Uh, I wasn't really good at conventional type things, but what, what Frank would, what Frank would do is he would be able to, and this is a, a testament to his intuitive nature, he would be able to identify in a musician that thing that they can do that's unique, and then he would exaggerate it. He'd give you a platform, and he'd pull it out of you, and he'd use that as a color on his palette. So you were like as an instrument, and and you, you were doing, you'd end up be doing things. You, there is no way you would do in any other setting unless you were making your own records. And even then you wouldn't because Frank pulled it out of you. Frank pulled it out. He had me do things like double his voice on the guitar, you know, double his guitar, play the, uh, play these pieces of music that were just not supposed to be played on the guitar. You know what I mean? Because he, he thought I can do it. And if, if Frank thought you can do it, you just, you would just decide, okay, I can do it. And, and he would never ask you to, do things that he didn't think you can do because why you know <laughs> but it was amazing being on tour with frank that's i have wonderful. no idea i thought that's the way it was on tour but no frank was unique it was it was rough in that uh 
I, I mean, you 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 wake up and you get on an airplane. So you wake up at like 9 a.m. and you got to be on an airplane. So you every day. And the moment we fly in, we go right from the airport to sound check and you start sound check. And then there's usually there was usually two shows a night, two, two and a half hour shows. So and then by the time you get back to the hotel, it's, you know, three, four a.m. And then you've got all the other extracurricular activity that takes place on tour. <laughs> and then you got to know how to take care of yourself. And I didn't you eat didn't right. I got really uh, just kind of thin and sickly and, and fatigued. And uh, it wasn't until the last tour that I got my sea legs together when we went to Europe. And I really really uh, enjoyed it you know otherwise it was like it was hard because frank had we had 80 songs in the repertoire the first tour the first tour um i did the tinseltown rebellion tour in 1980 it was it wasn't as difficult it was difficult because i had never toured but the second tour in 81 it was death defying because we had 80 songs that we had to know and Half of them were contained just impossible shit. You know what I mean? So I was I had to constantly be practicing just in case he called one of those songs, you know, and and would. Yeah, (laughs) that's crazy. 80 songs. And he would um, write the set list before we went on stage, right before we went on stage every night. And it was different every show. And every song had a segue. So you went from one song right to the other. So this was uh, this was terrifying because I had to get the keep those songs under my fingers. And then um, and then for the the European tour, one time he came in uh, in a bad mood. (laughs) You don't you don't want to be around Frank in a bad mood. Mm. Came into rehearsals and (laughs) he he had us play. And if there was, if he heard one tiny mistake in a song, the song got thrown out and if the same person made the mistake, like, you know, three or four times, then they got thrown out. So that, uh, you know, it whittled mm. down the set list a bit. And so the European tour was a little, a little looser, but still deaf defying music. But I, I was not battling having no sea legs, you know, by that, by that time I, I had my, touring chops much more together i mean with frank you you're standing there and you're watching his every single move because you never know what he was going to do and he was listening he could hear frank could hear everything can i can i tell you a funny story okay <laughs> so uh yes this, this is a great story and this happened a lot um we we were doing this song redunzel Okay, now Redunzel, I absolutely love Redunzel. It, I used to adore playing this song. Oh my God. And he gets the melody, and it's just this big, long, <laughs> endless, and, and completely inspired, genius, voice of God melody. Okay. Except this one <laughs> little part. This one little part was so difficult because I only had 22 frets and it required notes that were um, three frets higher than the last fret on the guitar. And everything was eighth notes. It's like, da, 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 be, da, da. And then the, the eighth note whole part for, forever just goes, booty, da, da, doody, ba, ba, do, 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 do. And it's all these beautiful, weird, but beautiful notes. And it just never ends. And then it goes, at the end, it peaks and it goes, 
But those first three notes are off of the neck. So you have to bend, bend up three frets, hit the note, let it down. So you're only bending two frets, hit the note, and then let it down and hit the note on the 22nd fret. So this is really difficult, you know, because the intonation has to be perfect. And it was hard. I, I probably got it once. I probably got it right once out of every three times. But I used to think, well, Frank, the, you know, Frank's not. He's got all these other instruments going on and he's just stand there conducting. Right. And um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're doing this one show. And I didn't think he noticed because the you didn't very, think he noticed. I was very close. But sometimes I just, just, you know, and 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 I did this one night and I just, just those those two, two of the notes were not very good. And then the fourth note, I just, you know, I just my intonation was off a little bit, but I didn't think much of it, you know, because no, I'm thinking there's no way he heard it. And Dweezil was at the show and Dweezil was watching me. Yeah. Oh, he was like Dweezil was like 12 or something. What year? Know? And he's watching me the whole show. And he says to Frank, mm -hmm. man, I was watching Steven. He's really doing all these crazy stuff. He's, and Frank said, yeah, he's pretty good. Tonight he was pretty good. He only played three wrong notes and half a scale wrong. <laughs> he heard every note. I've seen him do that. Wow. You know, I've seen him. But then when he wants to, you know, like yeah. uh, I remember we were, it was the first time, the first, first show. Uh, of the set of the 81 tour where he had given me a uh, something pretty difficult like uh, it was montana you know the yeah well i was playing that on the guitar which was um, he had never you know given that to a guitar it's just awkward you know and he was concerned that uh, you know am i going to be able to pull off all this difficult music you know and in my mind i'm going yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I might be intimidated when I see you, but I'm not missing a note, you know, <laughs> unless they're off the neck. God damn it. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> first show and uh, uh, we're playing and we play uh, Montana and we play that whole interlude and Frank stops the band. And I've seen him do that before. And it's, it's usually not pretty, you know. And uh, he stops the band, and I'm thinking, uh oh, I know this <laughs> is about me. <laughs> During the show. During yeah. the show? Or and a he stops check? the band, and he comes up to me. Whoa. And I'm thinking, uh oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, but I played it good, you know? I thought I played it pretty good. And he just looks at me and he, and he says, not bad, sport. <laughs> and then started the song up again. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's. Is, is that sort of how <laughs> well, Frank, Stevie's Frank, oh, like any kind of information you'd give him, he'd write he'd, he'd write about it. And he'd exaggerate. So the whole Stevie spanking thing came. It didn't happen like it did in the, <laughs> in the song. I did not get spanked. <laughs> other things happened. Yes, other things happened. Uh, the long story. Well, listen to the song. But uh, I remember the worst thing you want to say to Frank is, "Hey, listen." You want to hear what happened? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. And he would just go, uh-huh. No. And you you just wanted to lay on him all this crap. On a Frank tour, man, you just get involved with the most bizarre stuff. 
it was so much fun. You know, he just he he was such an instigator, you know, you just <laughs> so the, the, the whole Stevie spanking thing was me telling Frank a story about what happened the night before and him coming in uh, the next day into soundcheck with a piece of paper going, I could not sleep at all last night. I had to write these lyrics <laughs> and he wrote the lyrics to Stevie spanking. I don't want to get into the details, okay. but it was it was more like college, uh, uh, you know, crazy college stuff. I, had, I there was a girl and she uh, was stranded uh, and didn't have any place to stay. And I was a nice guy and a gentleman. And I said, OK, there's two beds in my room. You can you can, st- you know, stay in one of the beds and, and she got in the room and pulled out a bag of tricks, you know, and. <laughs> And I'm so young. I'm just like, you know, like, <laughs> he was just, he was just like that. He was an instigator. He liked all that weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. He was a hoot. I, I love that. So why would uh, you not write a book? I don't know. You know, I get asked all the time. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I could tell stories, you know, I started this, I started this um, Patreon because I was looking for, I was looking for like a year, for like two years. I was looking for some kind of an outlet that I can start funneling all these things through, you know, like website. My website wasn't doing it. You know, it's not kind of people don't go and visit websites, you know. And uh, we looked at mm-hmm. all of these formats, you know, all these different formats. And the Patreon one just seemed to work really. It seemed to work because I can upload all of these videos and stories i've got this it's called but you should go and check it out the first one is called um oh wait a minute no i didn't tell a zappa story yet (laughs) but anyway it's here where i feel comfortable telling stories i've got this one segment it's called tall tales i only just kicked it off last week and the first story in there that i'm telling is kind of kind of funny but this to me is more interesting and exciting than a book. And I get asked to write books all the time. You know, I get, I've been offered a lot of money to write a book about me and my career. And I just don't have, I just don't feel compelled to sit there and write about myself. And then they, you know, what they usually do is they go out and they interview people, your, your friends, your colleagues. And yeah. And, and, They'll and write it you know, you. but then, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like I'm asking my friends to be interviewed about me for my book, you know, and that's just uncomfortable for me. I've done it many times for others, Mm. but I just don't. So this lockdown has been um, driving me personally crazy. I don't know. How about you? For a lot of people, it's been very challenging. That's for sure. And in the music that I would say, and this is just uh, my my observation and of course i could be wrong but i think the music business and the you know has gotten hit harder than any any other business any other industry i mean musicians first of all are living hand to mouth most of them you know what i mean and especially the crews you know and yeah like me and my massage company i hope the touring industry will bounce back yeah i mean musicians the musician community is very resilient and you know crew guys and stuff like that they're figuring it out but it was rough i mean when you're making a living from touring 
you, and and it just everything ends as you know i mean you you were like um the great thing i don't know if everybody out if your listeners know what you do <laughs> oh I, okay listen folks they think i just massage rock stars they don't know let me about tell you something team. about dr dot <laughs> i have been uh, i have been in more places on this planet than most most people on the planet you know because I tour and I love touring, love it to the point where I, I wanted to go. I made it a point decades ago to go to places no one has ever been. And I did on many occasions. You know, I was the first one, first American. So they tell me the first American rock artist to perform in communist China, in Siberia and many places. Right. I was going down to South America way early and, and Russia. You know, I hit Russia in the early 90s and. Uh, so I've been around and over the, and, and I still enjoy doing that. And not my last tour, but the one before that, it was a big tour in Story of Light. I did 257 shows in 52 countries, something like that. And no matter where I was, whatever the gig. That's crazy. There, if I wanted a dot bot, there was one. I couldn't believe it. Your, you, your reach I could be anywhere on the planet. <laughs> and if I just sent an email, it'd be like, oh, okay, what time you want them there? <laughs> you know? And then these people, these wonderful uh, masseuses <laughs> would show up. And uh, I don't know how you networked like you do, how you network like you do, but it's pretty remarkable. And you're tough, man. You're dick. You are tough in a great way. And oh, I am. Very right. Very red. Very I'm very rock and roll, but I run it very military. Very on, no messing around, and uh, it's fantastic. You perform a service, a unique service, unlike anybody else, and you're bulletproof with it, and just masterful. Really great. I'm super grateful that you came on here and uh, gave me some of your time. I love talking to you. Yeah, I miss you. I miss you too. Yeah. It's very I, nice that you're doing this. I hope when you come out you know, back to Long Island and Jersey that I get to see you and Pia and give you a massage personally. And oh, I want to, I don't want to meet fire. Oh yeah. Uh, by the way, you yelling fire. That's the funniest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's true. That is classic. Okay. That cracks me up. Tell Pia I said hi. I certainly will, my dear. And, and, um, you're doing great, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. And uh, yeah, keep these keep these things going. I know that uh, they're very meaningful for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to call you soon for part two. Okay. So. Sounds great. All right. Love you, All Steve. Right. I love you, honey. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>